Okay. Anybody in here like to travel? Do you travel much? Anybody in here travel a lot? Maybe you travel by bicycle? No, not that many bikes. Maybe by car? Some folks, like they travel by car. Some folks by airplane. Some, I guess, uh, especially if you're listening to this in Germany, may travel by train a lot. Um, I don't know if you like to travel. When I was a kid, I thought travel was very glamorous. My dad traveled a lot with his job and, you know, I loved and admired and respected dad and still do. And and I thought travel was very glamorous. Um, I've come to find out uh, because of my job that it's not really all that glamorous. Uh, uh, It is if you just do it periodically. But uh, this week I was in St. Louis Monday and Tuesday and got back Tuesday night in time for some family stuff. But got up early Wednesday morning to be in L.A. where I had to be Wednesday and Thursday. Got back in time for a little family time Thursday night, but got up early Friday morning and flew to Lubbock and got back uh, Friday evening in time to uh, see my kids before they went to bed. And and uh, that kind of a week gets old. If you add to it, if you travel internationally, have any of you ever traveled internationally where you actually had to get a vaccination before you went? A number of us. Look at that. Because there are countries where there are diseases and problems where you, you, know, you, you leave home and, and your health changes. When I was in trial for eight weeks in New Jersey, I was amazed because I'm one of these guys who grew up not really paying attention to skin. Uh, skin is just something that I have to put clothes on so people don't laugh. It's, <laughs> it's not the kind of thing, you know, Becky's got all the ointments and creams and all of this kind of stuff. I, I just got skin. You know, you wash it. You dry it and you cover it. That's about it for me. But up in New Jersey where we were for eight weeks, my skin would get so dry. And, and I mean, like it, it'd crack. And, uh, and at first I thought it was just Dr. Bob's jokes that were cracking me up. But it turned out <laughs> it was the weather. And, and, and you, your skin changes. When you travel, things are different. You lose the comforts of home. Traveling takes its toll. It takes its toll on you physically. You get tired. Traveling takes its toll on you emotionally. Uh, um, I, I, I travel a good bit, and one of the, my travel buddies is Dr. Bob. In fact, he's my main travel buddy. I take him. He was, we were together in St. Louis. We were together in Los Angeles, and we were together in Lubbock. Dr. Bob was on the road every day, too. And, and, you need, I have a strong support system at home. You know, my mom lives around the corner. I had to call mom yesterday and talk to her, even though I haven't seen her in a week or so, just because I wanted to hear her voice. I'm glad we travel in a day and age where we can keep up by telephone. Can you imagine having to travel and not being able to talk to your family or your support group? Can you imagine having to travel where you can't just come back? To see your kids or to go to an important event at school or just to spend time with someone who's, a, who's close to you. It's really tough. And, and when you travel and you travel and you travel, do you ever travel so much that you just sort of feel like you're living out of a suitcase? <coughs> well, I ask you this. You know, that's one way to save on an airline ticket, but you gotta, you gotta make sure it's pressurized luggage bins, okay? Um, 
I thought about, you can tell I wrote the lesson this week while I was on the road. Um, because I was thinking as I was studying Paul and Paul's missionary journeys, and I thought, man, that was tough. I mean, Paul was a traveler. And Paul was traveling in a time and age where it wasn't, oh, gee, I hope I have a couple of dollars so I can tip that fella for carrying my luggage. Um, Paul's hauling his own luggage. I bet he was a light packer. Paul is traveling at a time where you don't get behind your car. Don't think because we've seen Ben-Hur that he had a chariot. He didn't. Paul's walking. That's a chore. I got to go to Dallas. I got to walk. I better get going. I'm not going to make lunch. Paul travels at a time where not only do you have the physical challenge of walking everywhere and hauling your goods, but you also have the danger because the robbers and the thieves and the folks... I I was walking back to my hotel uh, Wednesday night in, in Los Angeles and it's dark and I'm walking down a road and I'm in a decent area of town but this fella crosses the street to start walking behind me. And he's about 10 paces behind me. I'm a pretty fast walker. So was he. He was mirroring me step by step. And I'm thinking, looking back at him, and he looks a little like Lewis. I'm thinking, I can take this guy. <laughs> but I didn't want to have to. So I'm thinking, well, is this guy following me for bad reasons? Is this guy not following me? I don't want to appear paranoid. I don't want to, as I walk, you know, I'm sitting there, wanting to keep looking over my shoulder, like, you know, fake one way and go see how he goes. Uh, uh, he follows me for five or six blocks before he turned and went where he was headed. And uh, every time I'd kind of look at him, he had this hat on, and he'd pull it down just a little bit lower. I'm thinking, man, what about Paul? Can you imagine just walking and having to walk and going through countrysides and going through unpopulated area? You can't yell police. You can't dart out into traffic and get some car guy to help you. It was a very dangerous process. Now, We're going to look at Paul's first missionary trip, and we're going to start this morning. We will not finish it in this class because we're going to go into a little more depth. I was so excited to hit this class because I thought, you know, I taught Paul's missionary journey in biblical literacy. So I'll go back and grab the old biblical literacy lesson. I'll revamp it a little bit for Paul, but I've got 90% of my lesson already written. So I went back and I got it and I started looking at it and I thought, well, I don't really want to use this and I can't really use that and... So maybe I'll use maybe half of it and kept working on it. And well, maybe 40% or well, maybe 30% is going to work. Bottom line is there are two sentences that are identical <laughs> in this lesson to the biblical literacy lesson. But uh, this is going to be different. We're going to go through it in a little bit more detail because that was just to be biblically literate. Now we want to be Pauline specialists. OK, so let's look at it. Let's first put it into a time area. If Jesus was crucified around 30 A.D., I know what you're saying. He was 33. 33 A.D. is when he should have been crucified. No, 
Dionysius Exegus got the calendar wrong when he computed it in the 600s. Go back and find that in church history if you want to cruise the website. But, so we figure Jesus probably died around 30 A.D. Paul's converted about three years later, 33 A.D. Now, Paul makes his first trip to Jerusalem in 35 A.D. You with me so far? Paul spends his time in Syria and Cilicia between 35 and 46, goes to Antioch, from Antioch brings famine help back to Jerusalem, heads back up to Antioch with Barnabas and Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And that triumvirate, those three people, head out on a first missionary trip that'll last from about 47 to 48 A.D. Now, where's the mission trip going? If this is modern Turkey in this PowerPoint slide, and we go to what is really now the southeast corner in the Syrian area, uh, Antioch, that's where Paul, that's where Barnabas, and that's where John Mark are when they start this missionary trip. And it's interesting how it comes about. We are told in the, gospel, or in the book of Acts, written by Luke, the following. Now there were in the church at Antioch, and I must pause for a moment and tell you, that's the first time Luke uses the word church outside of Jerusalem. Before it had been kind of congregations or groups, or there were Christians, there were... This is the first time he uses the church. It's really grown. It's pretty good size. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas. There was Simeon, who was called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul. Why does Luke give us that little bit of extra information about some of these folks? I can tell you why he tells us about Manian. He says, Menean was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Suntrophos is the Greek word that's translated a member of the court. What Suntrophos means is really something very different. This is the only time that word's used in that Greek word, Suntrophos, in the entire New Testament. The only time. And, and it's, it, it actually refers to a, a person, a boy typically, who is living at the court as a good friend of one of the kids in the court, one of the princes. So Manian was someone who with Herod the Tetrarch actually lived in the, with him at the palace and grew up with him. He was the buddy. He was the playmate. He, some translators translate it best friend. Because obviously, if Herod the Tetrarch, the prince, doesn't like his playmate, he gets new ones. Okay? I mean, it's not like, no, that's your friend and you're stuck with him. No, he's the prince. He doesn't get new ones. I mean, he gets new ones if he doesn't like them. So, so Manian is this fellow who grows up. And I like that Luke puts it in here and we can't pass it up without pausing. Because all of us have forks in our road and we make choices. Look at the choices here. Herod the Tetrarch grows up and beheads John the Baptist. Beheads him. Cuts it off. That's the Herod. There are lots of Herods in the Bible. 
Okay? You can go back and, and see the chart we put together in the, the biblical literacy handout if you want to because we discuss all the different Herods looking at Josephus and all. Set that aside. Herod the Tetrarch, who grew up with Menean, is the one that has the head of John the Baptist served up on a platter. While his best friend growing up becomes a Christian and a leader and a teacher in the church whose name is recorded in God's holy scripture for eternity. What a difference choices make in our road. I can't see that without first praying for every one of my children, all five. But I also can't see that without praying for all of you and without diligently asking God to help me make right choices in my life. Because when we reach those forks in the road, I really would like when eternity is unfolded, me to have taken the correct fork more times than not. So we have that. Now, while Luke gives us that at the start of Acts, as he starts to talk about this, it goes a step further. Luke says the Holy Spirit comes in and speaks to the congregation. The Holy Spirit says to the congregation... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And that's not strange for Paul. Paul had been told, lo, these 13 years earlier, that God was going to call him to preach to the Gentiles. Of course, for Paul, I suspect he was thinking that meant there in Antioch where he'd been speaking for the last year. But oh no, God had much more in mind than Paul had ever hoped, thought, or dreamed of. Abundantly much more, as Paul would later write in Ephesians. So, God calls, and what happens? From Antioch, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark go the 15 miles over to the coast, catch a boat, and sail over to the island of Cyprus, as we call it now. It was Kyprus would be the way they would have pronounced it back then. But Cyprus, because we have different ways of pronouncing those letters. Um, they probably sailed right over to Salamis, which was a port, the easiest port to get into from there. And from Salamis, they walked across the island. As they walked across the island, they were speaking in the synagogues throughout the island of Cyprus. Now, why did they choose Cyprus? Luke doesn't tell us, but we've got a pretty good reason why. That's where Barnabas was from. If you've got the gospel, you've got the good news. Wouldn't you love to share it first and foremost with your family and your friends? Doesn't it mean a lot to you for your family and your friends to understand Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? So they got the world in front of them. They go to Cyprus, the home of Barnabas and also ultimately relatives of John Mark's, Barnabas's cousin. And as they go to, to Cyprus, they get started and they start walking through and they make it all the way to the coast town of Paphos. And Paphos is an interesting place. It's from Paphos that the Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus by name, is actually administering the island. He's the governor, if you will, in our terms. And Sergius Paulus 
hears that Paul and Barnabas, Saul at that point, and Barnabas and John Mark are on the island and talking to people about this new gospel, this new visitation by God to the human race. So Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, says, bring him in. I want to talk to him. And in they come. He would sit up on his dais, and in comes Paul, and in comes Barnabas, and Paul starts talking to the Roman proconsul. This would be unheard of. What a prize. A Roman official, a governor, embracing Christianity, not a Jew. Although, Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul, had as one of his attendants a Jewish fella named Elimas. Elimas bar Jesus, or son of Joshua. And Elimas was um, a magician of sorts, which doesn't mean... Hey, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. You know, he's not there to entertain with nothing up my sleeve. Uh, it's not that at all. The magicians back then were, were even sort of pseudoscientists. They would be able to predict when the moon was going to be here or there. They would be able to. So it, it involves some pseudoscience at that time. But the Elimas is there, and, and, and Elimas sees that the proconsul is about to embrace this Christianity and decides that he needs to gunk up the works. So he starts trying to run interference. And he starts tampering, not just with Paul, but he starts tampering with the Lord. And the scripture tells us that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the passage. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at Elimas and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You'll be blind. You'll be unable to see the sun for a time. Mister, I look at the stars and predict everything. <laughs> that last pit is, that is in, found only in very minor translations and versions. <laughs> Doesn't make it into a lot of our Bibles. Um, <clears throat> now behold. Now this is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is... This is like, this is big time. I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul looking at you? You son of the devil, you villain, you, you full of, I mean, he like calls it down. If y'all have never heard the story about when Bob and I were in trial and Bob called down a curse on the opposing lawyer. I, that sent chills down my spine as it did the opposing lawyer who started apologizing, but it's nothing compared, like the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elimas, that's the picture, uh, the, the painting. Elimas goes blind. He can't see. And Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, says, wow. And puts his faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's a wonderful story, but it's also a real pivot point in the book of Acts. And if we were studying the book of Acts, we'd spend maybe a whole class on this story. I can't pass it up without telling you why it's a pivot point, because it is important to us to see what kind of a turning point this is in the book of Acts. First of all, this is the very first time we're told Paul's Roman name, Paulus. It's the first time Paul's Roman name is mentioned or used. And from here on out, Luke's going to call Paul, Paul, instead of Saul, every time. With only the exception when they're in Jerusalem and Paul is recounting Jesus visiting him in Damascus, calling him Saul, or the apostles in Jerusalem writing a letter referencing Saul. Bless you. The, uh, um, this is it. I mean, this is the verse. Now, why does Luke choose this verse to start calling him Paul? Oh, I think there's a ton of reasons. I think, first of all, this is probably the first time Paul really started using Paul as his name. Before, he's been communicating through the synagogues with the Jews and teaching. Gentiles, yes, but mainly through the Jewish synagogues, the Gentiles that were attending. And for them, his Jewish name, Saul, would be used. But who's he talking to? A Roman proconsul who's not in a synagogue, not visiting a synagogue, whose name is Sergius Paulus. And I have no doubt that Paul, looking for a point of connection, would have said, my name's Paul also. And that point of connection's made. And so we have Paul talking to Paul. And from here on out, Paul has really turned himself into the missionary of God for the Gentiles. And he is called Paul from here on out. Second reason this is a turning point. Paul here becomes the leader. When you're writing in Greek, you put your leader first. If you're a newspaper reporter, you're told, don't bury your lead. That's the mantra in reporting. Lead with a trump card. Lead with your strong suit. Lead, you know, there, there are expressions out there that seem to have left my brain. But the point of it is, I I didn't lose the point. In Greek, I can tell you, you put the important things first. They can change word order in a Greek sentence to emphasize a point by putting something first. It's always been, in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul. It's always been. You go back to Acts 13, God even says, send Barnabas and Paul. It's always Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was the father in the faith. Barnabas is the one who brought Paul into the fold. Barnabas is the only reason the church in Jerusalem would let Paul walk in the door. Barnabas is the the one who, who, who the apostles had looked to. And it had always been Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas is the one who went and sought Paul out to help Barnabas. But now we're at a place in a different time, in a different culture, where the Greek background of Paul has come into play, where his Roman name has come into play, where Paul is at the front, where Paul is doing the message, speaking to the proconsul Paul, and we are at a point where it is the Holy Spirit that fills Paul who turns around and calls down blindness on Elimas. And it's a real corner because from then on, with one or two minor exceptions that I explain in the paper, it's always Paul and Barnabas. 
and Paul becomes the leader. And Paul is seen as the leader. And so Paul, this is a real turning point. Paul has just come into his own, if you will. Which isn't totally accurate because he's come into God's own, not his. But it's a very profound turning point in the passage. I think it's one of the reasons, I believe, that John Mark ultimately leaves. Because John leaves shortly thereafter where it looks like Paul is calling the shots instead of his cousin Barney. And John Mark's just not that fond of it. And leaves, doesn't return to Antioch, but goes back to Jerusalem where his mom is. Goes home to mama. It's a real turning point. Paul works a miracle for the first time. See, now Paul had received a miracle. Paul had been blinded to see the light. We don't know if Elimas ever saw the light from his blinding, but we know from Elimas's blinding, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, saw the light. So, from the island of Cyprus, instead of saying, man, this has been great, we did it, let's go home, and let's find that restaurant where we love to eat. Instead of that, they said, hey, let's go further. Let's go to the mainland. Let's go to Perga. And off to Perga they go. And in Perga it is that John Mark abandons the mission and returns to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why. But we do know, and Ramsey makes a real good argument that I put forward in more detail in the paper, that instead of preaching at Perga, Paul and Barnabas which means principally Paul, make the decision to go further north to Pisidian Antioch, a totally different Antioch. Lots of Antiochs back then. Antiochus was a big general, named a lot of places after him. So Pisidian Antioch is where they go at this point, and uh, 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 it's up in the mountains areas. It's, it's a much higher elevation. This is the mission work to the Galatian churches. These are the churches of Galatia that Paul will be writing to next year in time. And so Ramsey says, let's find some of the reason Paul went up to those churches instead of preaching in Perga. And does it out of Galatians 4, where Paul tells these Galatians the next year, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God. And Ramsey makes the point that Paul could very easily have contracted some type of a malaria, a, a fever in the lowlands that made him make the decision, we're not going to stay here in Perga. We've got to get up into the mountains which is where the, the health benefits would be much greater for him. Ramsey also believes this was the thorn in the flesh that would keep recurring in times of stress for Paul. I don't know if it is or not, but we do know that Paul did go ahead and go up north instead of staying at Perga. John Mark decides he doesn't want any part of it and goes home in a way that leaves Paul feeling very bruised and hurt, as we'll read about later. So, I'm amazed because when I get sick, one of the easiest things for me to do is to retreat. But Paul gets sick, and what does he do? He presses on. 
Um, next week we're going to detail more of this missionary journey as Paul goes to these churches in Galatia. But for now, let's look at our points for home. First, mission work is God's work. I love the way Luke writes it, because Luke writes it and says, when God calls, the church sends. The church sends off Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. But immediately after talking about how the church had a prayer service for him, they fasted, they laid hands on him, and they sent them off, Luke's very clear to say, but they were really sent out by the Holy Spirit. When Pastor Fleming tells us this morning, hey, invite someone to church, we've got to reach our community. He's saying it because he understands it's God's work. If it was just for Pastor Fleming, he probably wouldn't care that much. But he's got a burden for God's work to be done. That's why we do this. That's why Steve Taylor puts up with listening to me for hours after class on Sunday while he tries to figure out how to make cuts in the audio to put it on the internet so that 10 people from somewhere can download John Huss in the Bohemian Reformation. But mission work is God's work that we have an honor to be a part of. And that's the, that's the key. God does his mission through us. This same Paul we're reading about is a Paul in Romans who's going to say, how are people going to believe in Jesus if they've never heard? Show me someone who can believe in Jesus that hadn't heard of Jesus. It's not possible. And Paul says, and how are they going to hear of Jesus if someone's not telling them about Jesus? And it doesn't have to be through now in our medium. It doesn't have to be through personal we have mission outwork in this class through written and recorded mediums on the internet. People can hear that Jesus Christ, whether you're in China, whether you're in Germany, or whether you're in the United States of America, it doesn't matter where you are, Jesus comes to you and meets you. Because you are what he's after. He's not after the cattle on the hills, he already has them. He's after you. The only thing you truly own yourself. And we talk about giving. That's giving back to God what's his. The only thing you and I truly own that's truly ours and not God's. Is who we are in our soul. And that's really the thing he wants. And that's really the thing we ought to be giving him. Because he'll make it right. And he gives us life that's real life and abundant life. So, how are they going to preach unless someone's sent? we got to send. We send, the Holy Spirit sends. Last point for home, I want you to meet the crosses. This is Charles and Amy Cross. They're in California this morning trying to get some, some things set up. They're missionaries to France. Supportive. They're from CFBC. They're from our congregation. They're in the European country that has the largest Muslim population and the least number of people going to church. And, and, and Charles serves as the field director in France with Greater European Mission. And he and his wife, Amy, have four wonderful kids, Claire, Emma, Sophie, and Thomas. They're here trying to get some things in order in the United States right now before they go back. They've come to our class a number of times. But here's your point for home. Pray for them. Pray for them. They're out there doing God's work as we're doing 
here, but they're deserving of our prayers. They live out of a suitcase, even when they come home. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for this class and the blessing and honor it is to get to be a part of it. I thank you for each person that's in here. And I pray that you'll reach out and bless everybody in here in in the supernatural ways you're able to, Father, by discerning what their need is and meeting that need today, right now, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, as we receive these blessings from you, make us people bold to go out and tell what you've done for us so that others can come into this family and receive the bounty that starts with eternal life but doesn't end there. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you glory. Our Father, our Savior, our King, and our friend. Through our Lord Jesus, amen.